0: to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and HMD. I'm Jared Brumman, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we have a special bonus episode to celebrate the anniversary of the Red Sea Rules. In this episode, Rob delivers a message from the biblical text in which the book is based. We invite you to pick up a copy of the Red Sea Rules, which is available wherever books are sold. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan.
1: Thank you, I'm very happy to be here. You have given me, despite the weather, a very warm welcome. And I love your pastor. We were together Friday night. Pastor Corey sat at my table at the banquet that we were at with the Gideons, and I could have talked to him all night. I was just so fascinated by by him and by the church here. And I understand this is a brand new room here. It's a great, great worship space. And um, he told me you guys moved in here on Christmas Eve. So I just feel, despite the weather and everything, I feel very honored to be here. I am going to slip out after the service because I hope to get back to Nashville today. Uh, My wife is disabled and so I don't like to be away from her too long and I don't know if my flight's going to go out or not but um, I'm supposed to go from Minneapolis to uh, Nashville this evening and get back in time to uh, have popcorn and watch TV. So we'll see if that happens but if it weren't for that I'd love to stay around and meet all of you. I thank you for coming today and for allowing me to be here. And I want to thank the Gideons too for inviting me this weekend. It was the uh, convention of their Wisconsin and Upper Michigan um, state meeting. And we had all these testimonies of how that simple Gideon Bible that was handed to somebody in a hospital or a jail or uh, um, maybe at school or uh, was found in a hotel room, how that in God's providence had profound impacts upon the lives of different people. And the Gideon ministry is in virtually every nation in the world. It's one of the largest, one of the two largest ministries on the globe. And there are some Gideons who came uh, today from that. And so I know that you support the Gideons. I've been told about what a good supporting church Uh, This one is, Bethany is, to the Gideon ministry, and so on their behalf, I just want to say thank you for that. Well, what I want to talk about for a few minutes is something that I call the Red Sea Rules. And back in 1999, my story with this begins because I was coming back from overseas, I was in Athens, and having a very, very difficult time because of a situation that had arisen in my life and it had to do with the child and with some family issues and it was extraordinarily painful and we go through these times in life maybe you're going through a time like that right now and i was flying back i'd left very early in the morning and nobody was seating in the seat beside me and it had been too early for me to have my devotions in the hotel room so i'd gone to the airport it was a transatlantic flight as soon as it took off i lowered the tray table And I wanted to have my morning devotions. And my habit is, and I want to recommend it to you, that I just start reading today where I left off yesterday. So I was reading through the book of Exodus, and I'd been in chapter 13 the day before. And on this day, I came to chapter 14, which is the story of the Israelites at the Red Sea and how God parted the waters and let them go through. And as I read that chapter on the airplane that day, it's as though... And this is the only time really this has happened to me quite this vividly. But it's as though the Lord Jesus walked down the aisle of that plane, sat in the empty seat beside me and said, now I want to show you some things in this chapter that will help you a lot. And I began making notes on a yellow pad. I still have those notes somewhere, but I couldn't write fast enough to record the ideas that were flooding into my mind based on this chapter. It's as though the Lord said, if I can help the Israelites in their very difficult place, then I can help you. So I came back and I took those principles and I applied them and they helped us to navigate the situation I was facing. And then I preached a series of sermons based upon them at my church. And we called this series, God will make a way. And there was a little course that was very popular in those days And it said, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And we sang that chorus every Sunday. And I preached through this series of sermons. And then my publisher, Thomas Nelson, said, well, will you put those into a book? So we compiled them into a book. But my agent, Greg Johnson at the time, said, you know, this little book, The Prayer of Jabez, is doing very well and it's a much smaller book why don't you just delete a lot of your material and put it out as a very small book so we did it came out in 2002 called the red sea rules and it is still going strong i can't believe the feedback we're still getting churches all over the world and all across the nation use this for small group studies. It's become a video curriculum. We have a workbook. People buy, buy the case and give it out. It's up to a, about a half a million copies now. Franklin Graham ordered about 100,000 for the Billy Graham Association, and we just get, it's just remarkable, and I'm so gratified about the way the Lord has used this little book. And people have found they can give it to someone who's going through a difficult time, and somehow it seems to help them. Well, I'm not going to preach from the book. I'm going to speak today from the text upon which the book is based. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to take you through these ten principles. We'll do it very quickly. But in Exodus chapter 14, the story of the Israelites at the Red Sea. So in your Bibles, and I see they're giving some. If you don't have one, they'll give it to you. You can follow along. In the second book of the Bible... The book of exodus in chapter 14 and i'm just going to list for you these 10 principles for dealing with difficult circumstances and i'd like for you to personalize it so if you think of any difficult circumstance you're going through maybe you have a significant crisis in your life right now or maybe you just have a little problem but whatever it is try to relate to this and let's study how the lord helped the israelites when they were trapped here between the devil and the deep red sea. So here's the first thing. Realize, recognize that God has either placed you where you are or allowed you to be there for reasons which maybe only he knows. Recognize that God intends for you to be where you are right now. So look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of Pi Haharoth between Migdal and the sea in front of Bel Zephon, you shall encamp there facing it by the sea. Now, when I was on that airplane and I read this verse, I couldn't believe how that verse, God just spoke to me through that verse. And I couldn't believe it because if someone came to you, suppose they came to you this afternoon, they called you on the phone maybe, and they said, I have this terrible problem and I need a verse, is there a verse anywhere in the Bible that will help me with it? How many of you would quote to them, tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of Haharoth between Migdal and the sea, facing in front Bel-Zephon? You are to encamp facing it by the sea. That's not the verse that you would probably think of telling someone. But here's what that verse said to me. These Israelites who were in a cul-de-sac and trapped there were there simply because they were in the will of God. He led them there deliberately. He allowed them to be there. He knew what he was doing. He told them, here is where I want you to go. And when they got there, they discovered it was an impossible place. And sometimes God just puts us in impossible places. He lets us, He allows us to face situations we never dreamed about, that we don't want to face. And imagine the terror when the Israelites found out that they had maneuvered around until they were absolutely trapped and facing annihilation. But when you read through the Bible, you find there are so many people, they were following the Lord as well as they knew how, and they ended up with some terrible problem. For example, Joseph in the book of Genesis, there is almost nothing bad said about him. He was a visionary young man. He was very good. His brothers weren't so good, but he had a good heart and he was just minding his own business and doing what his father wanted and doing what God had told him to do when he found himself kidnapped and stripped and sent off to Egypt and enslaved and then accused of rape and finally in prison from the time he was 17 until he was 30. And yet it says the Lord was with him. He was in an impossible place, but it was God's will for him to be there. Or think of the disciples on that day when they fed the 5,000. And they were exhausted. And Jesus said, well, now you get into that boat and go across to the other side of the lake and I'll meet you there. And they got in that boat and pretty soon they were in a storm and they were rowing and straining and struggling all night long, drenched and terrified. And Jesus came to them walking on the water and Jesus had told them, that's what I want you to do. He knew exactly what he was doing when he sent them in the storm. So sometimes we just follow the Lord's will as well as we know how, and we still end up in a hard place in life. Well, recognize that God has either placed you there or allowed you to be there for reasons which maybe right now you don't know, but He alone does. The second Red Sea rule says the first thing you're to do after that then is to be more concerned about God's glory then your own relief. Look at verse 4. The Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So now we realize, we're told very early in the story, Why the Lord had allowed them to be in this difficult situation. It was so that as God delivered them, the Lord would receive glory and all of the Egyptians would know that he was Jehovah and he was Yahweh, the one to be worshiped. And so here is a very simple principle for handling any situation you find yourself in. Don't ask, how did I get into this mess and how can I get out? Ask, how can God be glorified through these circumstances? It changes the way you look at everything about your problem. We tend to say, oh my goodness, how did I get into this? How can I get out? But the biblical response is, how can God be glorified through these circumstances? And it shifts your paradigm about everything. This is what the Lord was teaching the Israelites, this is what Jesus also knew. You know, one of the most surprising statements to me that Jesus ever made was in John chapter 12. Now, in John chapter 14, two chapters later, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you know that sentence? Let not your hearts be troubled. But in chapter 12, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this hour that I came into the world. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So Jesus, when he was facing Calvary, didn't say, how did I get into this mess? And how can I get out? He said, what's the right question to ask? May this get away from me? Can I be spared from this? No, it is, Father, glorify your name. So everything changes when we face our difficulty by saying, Lord, this is a pretty bad set of circumstances right here, but how can you be glorified by the time it's all over? Because the Lord intends to get glory for himself and for everyone to know how great and majestic and good and merciful he is. The third particular Red Sea Rule, is acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Look at verse 9. It says, the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them and camped by the sea by pi Haharoth, in front of Bel-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. I've tried to put myself into the place of these Israelites. Here you had a dad. Maybe he was 30, 35 years old. He was married. He had several children. He had his elderly parents. They were all traveling together here. They were newly liberated from slavery. And now suddenly they hadn't been free more than a week or two. And they were trapped. And they looked up and here came the most powerful soldiers, the greatest army in the world, the Egyptian army. They could see the glint of the sun against the chariots and the swords and the spears and the shields. They could see the clouds of dust and they were coming to annihilate his family. And so he looked up and he saw this and it said he feared greatly. And it's so easy for us, I'm the world's worst at this, to look up and see the problems and have panic attacks and get afraid, and feel insecure, and lose our composure. But we've got to acknowledge our enemy, but keep our eyes on the Lord. We don't pretend there are no problems. We don't pretend there is no enemy. You have an enemy, and the Bible says he is always after you. He's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to acknowledge that we have some problems here, but you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. So there are only two options for going through life. There are problems and there are promises. God has given us promises. For every problem, you will never face a problem for which God hasn't placed a promise in His Word. And one of the great things about having problems is that it allows you to go into the Bible. And if I have a something that's troubling me very deeply, I'll just get alone and go through the Bible and say, Lord, I need some verse to help me. And I'll go to the Scripture until I find it. But you can either acknowledge the promises and keep your eyes on the problem. Or you can acknowledge the problem and keep your eyes on the promises. And which you decide to do determines whether you go through life pessimistically or optimistically. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord while acknowledging the enemy. And the fourth thing here is to pray. It says in verse 10 at the very end, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So we bring our problems to the Lord and we say, Father, I've got to pray about this. I've got to cry out to you. And we can never really resolve some problems. Only the Lord can do that. We face situations that we can never untangle. Only the Lord can do that. We sometimes find out how very powerless we are about doing things. But James chapter 5 and verse 16 says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. It says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. It says in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and talk to your father who is in secret. It says in Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. It says in first Peter chapter five and verse seven, cast all your care on him because he cares for you it doesn't say cast some of it or cast 50 percent of it or cast 95 percent of it there is nothing that you cannot cast upon the lord cast all your care on him it says in philippians chapter 4 the lord is near therefore do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god So here you have a problem. What do you do? You acknowledge that God has allowed you to be in this difficult place. And you say, I'm going to figure out as best I can how all of this can work for his glory. And I'm going to acknowledge my problem, but keep my eyes on the Lord. And I'm going to pray about it. The Lord gives us problems sometimes just to teach us to pray. And sometimes the devil goes too far because he so piles things on us that he drives us right to the throne of grace. And it says, At the throne of grace, we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Well, here's the fifth thing it's in verse number 13. Here's the way that I put it Don't be afraid stay calm and confident and give god time to work don't be afraid stay calm and confident and give god time to work verse 13 and moses said to the people fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the lord which he will work for you today for the egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord has only to fight for you. You need to be silent, to be still, and to know that He is God. Sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I'm about to melt down here. I'm having a panic attack. I've got this term paper. I've got this emergency. I've got this pressure at work. I've got this conflict with another person. I've got this marital issue. I've got this by, uh, diagnosis or, or this financial uh, dilemma. And, and we feel so unraveled by the pressures of life. I certainly do. I struggle, I think, genetically with anxiety. So all of these passages, I just really resonate with them. But the Bible tells us that fear and discouragement is never an ongoing option for the believer. We may feel some fear and some discouragement, but we shouldn't stay there very long. It says in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And the Lord knows how to resolve things in his timing. you know that all of your problems are temporary? All of his promises are eternal. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. That's the way he describes them. Whatever it is you're going through, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And you can look at all of the characters of the Bible, the heroes of Scripture. Every one of them went through difficult times but we have the perspective of history and we can look back and see how those difficult times worked out and the bible says that all things work together for good to those who love the lord that's sort of the gold standard of all of the biblical promises romans chapter 8 verse 28 so we take joseph that i mentioned earlier all of that 13 year period he was in jail and prison but the lord was with him and it was all preparing him to become the prime minister of Egypt, and the savior of his land. Or we see the disciples in the storm. But because of what they went through for a few hours, they had a faith that was strengthened. They had the experience of seeing the Son of Man walking on the water, and they never forgot the words that he spoke. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And we have the story to this day because of what they went through. The Lord knows how to work out our dilemmas and to delight us in the end with the outworking of his providence. So stay calm and confident and give God time to work. So here is number six. Take the next logical step by faith. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, this is so interesting because they couldn't go forward. They only had a few feet, and then they encountered the water. Well, they couldn't go very far, but they could take the next logical step. And as they took one step and another step, the water began to part, and they were able to go through one step at a time. And I want to tell you something. We can't unravel all of the problems we have that are so big all at once. You may have some dilemma that is so big you think you can never sort through it. But there is usually, if you look around, one little thing you can do. The Lord usually will show you the next step. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to make a decision, a little decision about something. But as you take one little step, the Lord will show you the next the waters will begin to part, maybe slowly. But we can only do things one step at a time. Or maybe you have a task, a obligation, a responsibility. It's so big you can never do it. You're overwhelmed by it, but you can do the next little thing. It may take a year to work everything out, but you can only take it a day at a time. The Lord leads us moment by moment, day by day, and step by step. And if you're trying to get everything done all at once or solve the whole problem all at once, you'll just be overwhelmed by it. But if you say, what is the next little step I can take? The Lord leads us in one-day increments. This is why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. So find the next little step, and the Lord leads you step by step. And that leads to the next principle, number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. Look at verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. So the Israelites went through the Red Sea at midnight, and at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and all through the evening, but the presence of God was there. And he had come as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And it was so lit up, it was like a football field at night with all of the lights because of the presence of the Lord. They were so aware that the Lord was with them because they could see it. And the Bible teaches that God is with us. Psalm 46 says he is a very present help in trouble. So if you're in trouble, then congratulations, you qualify. He is a help in trouble, but he's not just a help in trouble. He is a present help in trouble right here and right now. But he's not just a present help in trouble. He is a very present help in trouble. And it's helpful to wake up in the morning and to say, good morning, Lord. Talk to him like moses did in exodus 33 face to face as a man speaks to his friend go through the day and you say lord i have this i have this thank you for this help me with this i praise you for this give me patience as i deal with this and you pray all day long just as though he's there because he really is by means of the holy spirit jesus returned to heaven and sent the holy spirit to be with us and within us forever you go to bed at night and you say, well, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep. I know you're going to stay up all night long here with me, so I'm going to rest well. And he is always with you. Remember what I quoted a moment ago from Exodus or from uh, Philippians chapter four, the Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I think sometimes when we pray, it's helpful to actually visualize as praying. Here's my place of prayer, my little table. I get up in the morning, and I have my prayer notebook. I have my Bible, and I just imagine Jesus is here. And I talk to Him as naturally as if I'm speaking to a friend. In vision. His enveloping presence these Israelites they looked up and there he was and so number eight is then trust God to deliver you in his own unique way it says in verse number 21 then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is one of those times in the Bible when I wish I could be transported back into time and have made that journey through the evening just... Look up at the ceiling and imagine maybe three times, four times, five times this high. These walls of water, congealed walls of shimmering water and the wind blowing. And somehow like a great vacuum, the sand was dry. And here you had these families, the old people, the young people, some of them on donkeys, some of them with animals, their sheep and all of their possessions and their wagons and their going through these congeal walls of water, God had opened a way right through the sea for them. He knows how to get us through our problems. Now, the Lord could have done something very different. He could have sort of beamed them over, like, you know, on Star Trek, or he could have given them. Think about this. What did Jesus do when he had this barrier of water? He just walked out and walked right across the water. The Lord could have given the Israelites the ability to walk across that sea the way Jesus walked across the Sea of Galilee. Or the Lord could have sent angelic ships to ferry them through. But he chose this particular way. We never know how the Lord's going to help us. He custom designs every solution to every problem we have. And our job is simply to trust him to deliver us in his own unique way whatever you're facing, the Lord knows how to get you through it. If you've made a mistake and you've caused the problem all by yourself, you say, well, you know, my problems are self-contained. I've been self-destructive. The Lord knows when you repent and turn from that, it's like a GPS. He immediately recalculates. He gets you back on the right track and you can trust him to deliver in his own unique way. And then the next principle here, number nine, is view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. Look at the way the chapter ends in verse 30. Then the Lord saved the Israelites that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. In other words, this was a tremendous faith builder for them. And when they saw how God had helped them with this problem, then they developed the faith that he can help them with other problems later on. And one of the reasons why the Lord allows you to have some of the issues that you've had to deal with It's because it's like a gymnasium to build up your spiritual muscles and you develop and accumulate grace and faith as you go through life. David learned this. You remember when the story was told of David when he was a shepherd boy and he went down to see his brothers and there was Goliath, this giant. And David said, well, I can take him on. I can deal with him. And King Saul said, what makes you think that you can defeat that giant? And David said, well, he said, I was out in the uh, field keeping watch over the sheep, and a lion came, and a bear came, and the Lord helped me to slay those animals and to deliver the flock, and the same God who helped me then will help me now. So he had learned His faith had grown through the experiences that he had gone through. And as we go through problems and we deal with them in this way and we pray about them and we trust the Lord and we see how he resolves them and we look back and we see his providence over our life, then it enables us to trust him for the greater problems that we may face in the future. So faith is cumulative. And we've got to view all of our crises, all of our problems as faith-builders For the future and then the last red sea rule moves over into chapter number 15 don't forget to praise him they got to the other side the waters collapsed on the israel on the egyptians they were safe and it says then moses and the people of israel sang this song to the lord saying i will sing unto the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and rider his throne into the sea and they began praising the lord just spontaneous this is another thing i wish i could have seen how suddenly they just burst into prayer and into praise and into worship and you know this is the first recorded hymn in biblical history i love the great hymns of the faith as well as the new music and i've written a series of books on the history behind the hymns called then sings my soul and we have a whole series of three books but the first of all of the recorded hymns that we have is exodus chapter 15 and it says that miriam went dancing and and with the tambourine and she was praising god and the women were following her and they were praising him so as he delivers you then don't forget to thank him and don't forget to praise him So these are the ten rules by the Red Sea of Exodus chapter 14. I'll give them to you in closing. Number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Number two, be more concerned for God's glory than your relief. Number three, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Number four, pray. Number five, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Number six, when unsure... Just take the next logical step by faith. Number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. Number eight, trust God to deliver in His own unique way. Number nine, view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. And number 10, don't forget to praise Him. So I'd like to suggest that maybe you pick up some copies of this. You can get them at your bookstore from Amazon or Christian book distributors or. Barnes and Noble, I would love for you to just pass these along to other people because I believe in this message and I hope that something from this chapter has been of encouragement to you. Let me just close with a poem by an old German hymn writer that I think sums it all up, Paul Gerhardt. He said, commit whatever grieves thee, commit whatever grieves thee into the gracious hands Of him who never leaves thee, whom heaven and earth commands, who charts the clouds their courses, whom winds and waves obey, he will direct thy footsteps and make for thee a way. Shall we pray together? Our heavenly Father, we thank you because you love us and through Jesus Christ, the power of Calvary and his blood, the power of the resurrection. You've made it possible for us to have such a relationship with you that all things work together for good, even when we at times don't understand how they can. So, Lord, may some of these verses, some of these truths, be of encouragement to everyone here. And we thank you for them and will not forget to praise you because we pray together in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior.